Well, thank you, Sarah Eckhoff, for joining us for today's version of the Failure Fair podcast. Could you please introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what your failure is? Thanks for having me, Vidya. I'm really excited about this series. My name is Sarah Eckhoff, and many of you also might hear me referred to as Eck. I often go by Eck. And I am the Senior Impact Measurement Advisor on the Gender Justice Team with Care USA. Part of my role is on leading the impact measurement work related to the gender equality and women's voice approach. And I'm going to be talking a little bit today about our failures to date, and I'll put a little asterisk there, in terms of reporting against our gender equality and women's voice supplementary indicators. Wonderful. This is an issue that is near and dear to a lot of our hearts. Could you talk a little bit now about how we perhaps failed as an organization, and then also what steps we're taking to mitigate this in the future and what we as CARE can do better in the future? So I might take it one step back just to provide a little bit of context because I believe that many of you, if you're listening to this podcast, may have already listened to Sophia Spruckman podcast around our impact measurement or our failure to report impact on over 600 projects in the last couple of years. So what I'm going to be talking about today is quite related and a little bit more focused on our gender equality and women's voice approach, but very, very much related to CARES impact reporting in general. This came about related to our 2020 program strategy, which many, many of us are familiar with, also familiar with the 25 global indicators that we have for our program strategy. And those are tied specifically to the five outcome areas and our three approaches. One thing that's a little bit unique is that while we might have multiple global indicators for the five outcome areas, we have one individual indicator for each of the three approaches. Inclusive governance has one. Gender Equality and Women's Voice shares our global indicator with inclusive governance. And then there's a third for uh, resilience. And recognizing that there is a very complex set of change domains that we're working to address in gender equality and women's voice, as well as other areas, women's economic empowerment, sexual reproductive health and rights, there was a decision made that in addition to those 25 global indicators, which is how CARE sort of reports against our global impact, we would also have supplementary indicators. So these are at the same level as the global indicators. They're not sort of sub-indicators, but sort of complementary. But they look at domains of change that were not previously addressed with those set of 25. So these are really, really critical indicators, especially for those three approach areas, which each only have one indicator. I started working on these about two years ago when I first joined CARE, and I was working with a cross-section of, of individuals that are engaged in impact measurement and, and specifically gender equality and women's voice and our work in these areas across CARE, CARE member partners, gender advisors from CARE member partners, representatives from the regional management units, and country office sort of sp project-specific representatives. Through a very sort of collaborative and iterative process, we identified nine gender equality and women's voice supplementary indicators that cut across the three domains of the gender equality framework, agency, structure, and relations. We were really proud of these because we really leaned into looking at different ways of impact measurement that are maybe not necessarily run-of-the-mill choices. In many ways, and this is sort of leaning in a little bit to part of the why, this, this didn't perhaps work out thus far the way that we had hoped. We didn't necessarily choose indicators that were commonly incorporated into evaluations or specifically surveys, common DHS indicators, for example. 
we actually made very intentional choices about not including things like decision-making metrics because there's sort of a global narrative and, and sort of dialogue out there that maybe some of the data that we're getting from some of these decision-making metrics aren't necessarily as reliable as we would hope them to be. And an effort to kind of lead in this space and really understand the impact of, the, of CARE's work in the area of gender equality and women's voice, we chose some rather innovative and unusual indicators in some ways, looking at things like social norms, self-efficacy, using a lot of scales and complex indicators and things like that. That kind of leads us up to kind of where we are now. Two years in, we've had two years of data collection up until now, and we actually haven't had a single project in those two years across care that has reported against a single one of those nine gender equality and women's voice supplementary indicators. Oh, that is that is not good for care. But can you talk a little bit about why this group made the decision to pick these unusual indicators and what criteria you used to pick those specific indicators? Sure. I, I talked a little bit about two of the, the pieces that we were really cognizant of and, and sort of prioritized. And one of those was that the indicator really needed to touch quite squarely on one of those three change domains. While the concept of the gender equality framework is quite simple, you know, three, three domains, agency, structure, and relations, what's in those three domains is quite complex. We were really intentional about thinking ab- around what one single indicator or maybe one or two indicators within or across those three domains we would want to choose that would really give us some, some, some really great insight into what was happening in terms of the impact that CARES work with others and partners was really having in regard to that specific piece. While we chose indicators that touched on pre-existing scales or metrics, for example, the We Measure tool that CARE developed through our SRHR work, as well as the GEM scale, which is a widely accepted scale that looks at gender equitable attitudes um, and was developed by many of our partners in Permundo and, and elsewhere. We were intentional about not picking indicators that might be commonly used, like the decision-making ones that I chose, but that didn't really give us data that would really help us to understand the impact of our work. The decision-making metric is a good one because it's easy to incorporate. It's very commonly asked in surveys. It's very easy to compare data because it's so commonly used. But when we probe further to seek additional insights about what's happening at a relational level, for example, and it's often used as a proxy to look at at relational dynamics, we really see that when someone, a respondent, for example, might say that decision-making is joint within a household, if you probe further, we often hear or learn that decision-making is either sole, one person is is making the decision all by themselves, or that decision-making is actually pretty coercive. And this is true for decision-making around the use of money, the use of resources, sexual reproductive health and rights, decision-making related to family planning use and contraceptive use. So we really wanted to kind of stay away from that and, and, and think about different ways that we could look at relational aspects. The result of which was that we, as I mentioned, identified some indicators that were a little bit more complex. So looking at things like self-efficacy, And one of the challenges around looking at those types of concepts is that to define self-efficacy or even to translate self-efficacy into a 
local language can be really tricky. In fact, translating the word gender into many languages is very complex and, and difficult. So I think that that's one of the things that we're really starting to hear some feedback around. And, and we really tried to mitigate this, actually doing some pilots of these different indicators and, and gaining some feedback from across contacts within care. So humanitarian colleagues as well as development colleagues and those kind of working across that nexus to see if these indicators would be feasible and appropriate. And, and we did receive that feedback that they would be. But I, I think it is still a challenge. So it sounds like what we were really trying to do is to get a level of complexity through these indicators. But how does that comport with how we generate data through projects or through something like DHS? I think that the answer is that in many ways it doesn't. And I think that for the group that was involved in identifying these indicators, that was one of the most exciting things about them. I think oftentimes we as people that are engaged in impact measurement and monitoring evaluation and learning, as well as you know anyone involved in program design and implementation, often will reflect on, well, what is this data really telling us? And, and we might say, well, it's not really telling us much, but we still continue to collect the same things because of things like ease of use, resource lim limitations, or donor recommendations and requirements. Let's take the U.S. government as an example. They may have a very prescriptive set of indicators that they want us as care to use when we implement a project. It can be challenging to break outside of those indicators because of resource limitations or just kind of thinking, gosh, we already have so much on our plate. Adding another thing is going to be, is going to be challenging and, and why should we do that? For the group of us that were engaged in identifying these indicators, the answer was because care is leading in this area. Care needs to be a leader. We, we do such great work in regards to gender equality and women's voice. And we want to be able to tell a meaningful impact story and a meaningful change story about the work that we're doing. A valiant effort and one that is needed. So when this was rolled out with country offices, was there a training provided to MEL officers on how to get, uh, generate this data and how to incorporate these indicators into their programs? Not specifically for gender equality and women's voice. We did develop very detailed guidelines along with many other approach and outcomes areas. So if you go on to the MelWiki, for example, and you click into the global impact indicators and then see the supplementary indicators, you can see guidance for the gender equality and women's voice indicators as well as others. And this guidance covers anything from the operational definition for what that indicator is, is looking at. What is the numerator? What is the denominator? What do these terms mean within this indicator? As well as recommended methodologies for how you could capture it. And there's links to resources, justifications for why we chose the indicators, contact information for all of the leads for each of the different outcome and approach areas if you wanna follow up and ask more questions. But we're two years in and there's been no reporting. Going forward, what will we as CARE do to fix that? This is one of the things where I really look back and when you started offering up this wonderful series, I thought, wow, I really want to do one of these podcasts and talk about my, my failings in this area <laughs> because it was my responsibility and, and my job to kind of lead on this. And as you said, we're two years in and we, and we don't have a single project that's reported against these indicators. So I've been reflecting on this a lot, following up with um, the different individuals that were involved in that reference group and doing some outreach to the Care International Gender Network and our male community of practice and, and others to really kind of query about, you know, why this has happened and what I could have done better and what we could have done better. I think that while there's still hope for this forthcoming year, FY18 of data, that uh, those projects that did really start to incorporate those indicators when they were first introduced a few years ago, 
into their projects that we that will start to see some of that impact reporting now that those final evaluations or, or midterm or, or endline evaluations are happening. There's there's a lot of rich learning here. I think one of the things that I've really reflected on is that it would have been useful to do a much more targeted WebEx or training of some kind focused on the gender equality and women's voice indicators because they were somewhat unique uh, or, or quite unique in many ways. So that's something that I've really taken forward and, and thought about pulling together. One of the other considerations that I, I definitely have is that um, when you look at that peers form for impact reporting, the space where you would report against that supplementary indicator, it's kind of hidden. It's at the very bottom of the very long form, which our, our data enterers and, and mail coordinators are, are tasked with filling in. And it's not until row 238 of this form that you're prompted to enter this data. It's in a very small box. For a lot of mail coordinators and data enterers that are, that are tasked with filling these in, they kind of get to the point where they're like, oh my gosh, is, when is this going to be over? I think if I was in that role and was prompted sort of at the end to share something optionally that wasn't required um, and it was kind of hidden and I didn't know it was there or didn't really know what it was referring to, even though there are some kind of guidance in, in the links to the right, I might just skip over it. And that's, that's really understandable. But I think that one of the things that I need to do, will continue to do, is to share out that that's really the opportunity for us to, to report impact for gender equality and women's voice. And for an organization that's doing so much in this area and really believes that we're doing and facilitating a lot of really wonderful and good change, that it's critical for us to make the efforts to report against those supplementary indicators in that space or provide feedback on why we're not reporting against them. And that's the other piece that, that I'm going to be looking into a little bit more is if these indicators aren't serving us and they're, they're not feasible or appropriate to be collecting, then we need to know why and I need to know why so that we can make adjustments to them. Talk a little bit about that last point. How are you reaching back out to MEL staff globally to find out what's going wrong and what we could do better next time? I've done some outreach to CIGN, which is our Care International Gender Network, also a little bit to, to folks in our male community of practice. I am waiting a little bit now that this peers process for FY18 has closed to kind of see where, where things land and where the pieces come together for impact reporting in this particular area for this past fiscal year. Based off of that, I definitely want to do some targeted outreach and facilitate some collaborative and sort of feedback loop spaces for our male coordinators and for our meal staff across the Federation to get some feedback on these. My sense at this stage is that there's some nominal levels of awareness that these exist, but that I and we could do a lot more to increase knowledge and understanding of what they are, where they are, and how to use them, and create some resources and support mechanisms for male coordinators and specifically also project managers who are also really engaged in impact measurement and the, the design of the male frameworks for projects in this particular process. I'd love to see the results of that, and I'm sure this group would. If you were able to rewind two years, armed with the knowledge that you have now, that sometimes it's more complex than you anticipate, and sometimes staff don't have the capacity to do this, what would you do differently? What are some things that we as an organization, rolling out things from headquarters, should consider when we're piloting across basically 94 countries? I think the first thing that I would 
absolutely have done differently and it's something that we're starting to do at least within care usa and i think that this is probably happening across other care member partners and country offices as well i would have been a little bit more intentional about connecting with those that are engaged in the program design process those for example that are on our foundations team here at care usa those that are on our competitive bids unit but again this is not just applicable for the u.s context there are many obviously similar uh, approaches to program design and, and resource mobilization you know, across care. But that's really where the opportunity is to flag this, to reference these indicators, to include them in the illustrative set of indicators for the proposal, and, and even allude to them in the, in the language of the program design in that MEL section, such that when the program is awarded, there's sort of that prompt, right, to kind of go back and say, oh, these gender equality and, and women's voice supplementary indicators, what are those? If we've listed specific indicators from that set, kind of being able to go back to those resources and say, okay, like we already have this, you know, these indicators listed here, you know, how are we going to go about operationalizing this for our baseline? It's kind of already in there and, and it sort of prompts project staff to think about how they're going to, you know, mobilize resources in order to collect them. One of the things we've really reflected on at, you know, CARE over the last couple of years, the, the competitive bids unit has shared some really wonderful reflections on, you know, why we fail in terms of resource mobilization. And two of the big ones, I think, from the top five, if I'm remembering correctly, are gender and MEL. Strictly by incorporating one of these gender equality and women's voice indicators in the list and referencing some of those approaches that we take in terms of good practices for MEL and impact measurement as a, in regards to gender equality and, and using sort of gender integrated approaches to MEL that are kind of flagged in our gender market. Those are ways that we can not only create better projects, more gender transformative projects, but also probably win more, more proposals. I mean, this has been a persistent problem for us for at least a decade. Fast forward two years from now, what do you hope we find on line 268 of the Pierce Forum? <laughs> 238 for those <laughs> listening at home. I hope that we see more projects opting in to report even against one supplementary indicator for, for one of the approaches. I mean, obviously my preference would be gender equality and women's voice, but we have that kind of one line for each of the three approaches. I think it would be fabulous if instead of saying we want to see one indicator out of the 25 global indicators reported against, that we see projects opting in for more than one and also more than one supplementary indicator. The chances are actually quite good that projects are already collecting this data to be collecting it and not reporting it uh, against it at the at the end of the project and I think Sophia talked about this a little bit in her podcast is really a disservice to all that hard work that's happened and that collaboration at community level and all of the the incredible work that our partners do and, and communities are doing so it's it's really the responsibility of care to hold ourselves accountable to porting out on that impact that is happening, mostly as a result of our facilitation. Care is really a facilitator, not a, not a doer. So it's, it's really the responsibility of us to, to report against that change that's happening as a result of the work of so many others. Well, Sarah, on behalf of CARE, don't beat yourself up too much because you've been such a valiant champion for, you know, measuring impact against uh, gender equality and women's voice. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for CARE writ large? I would say that we should be hard on ourselves. We have a, a great privilege, but also a, a great responsibility in the work that I said we facilitate and, and the spaces that we, we seek to create and the incredible partners that we work with across this globe. I think we're, we're always questioning ourselves and reflecting 
uh, in a service of doing better, doing more and stepping back in some ways to create space for others. But I love this podcast, this sort of podcast series, because it is kind of creating that space to talk about things that didn't necessarily go the way that we had hoped, but that there are a lot of rich learnings that came out of that. And if we continue to lean into those failures and learn from them and take those learnings forward, we will do better. Sarah Eckhoff, one of CARE's greatest assets. Thank you so much for participating in our failure podcast and for being so honest and open with your own failures. I think you're going to turn them around. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Vidya. It was a pleasure.